welcome to Wisdom Talk Radio, a collaborative community of explorers in conscious living. Division, separation, judgment, other. Our airwaves are filled with these stories. And as most of you know, if you've been here with me at Wisdom Talk Radio before, I'm about another picture entirely. So what if you lived in a world where every unique individual expression was celebrated as part of humanity's glorious whole? My guest today is about creating just that. So if you're ready to move out of old patterns, old ways of thinking and being and doing, stay tuned. I'm Laurie Seymour, host of Wisdom Talk Radio and CEO and founder of the Baca Institute. Head there to discover your creative advantage by taking the Creative Innovator Quiz. Find out your personal creative innovator style so that you can open your creative flow and make everything in life easier. Learn to optimize your ability to create more in less time while enjoying every minute. So my guest today is Lola Wright, and I'm getting to meet her as you're getting to meet her, which is um, not always the case. And I'm really excited about that because, well, we get to discover together. Um, Lola is a TEDx speaker. She's a coach and she's host of Find Your Fierce and Loving podcast. In addition, she's an ordained minister with a gift for weaving together the mystical and material. And if that doesn't sound compelling and want you to, you know, stick, stick around, I don't know what would. Her work has taken her to stages around the world as a speaker and vocalist, including TEDx, Chicago Ideas, Harvard Divinity School, Agape International Spiritual Center, and Havana Jazz Festival. That's quite a listing, Lola. <laughs> we already know, okay, you're a woman of great breath. <laughs> and I suppose this is true. Well. <laughs> <laughs> true indeed. <sighs> Thanks for having me, Lori. It's so good to be with you. Oh, I'm delighted, Lola. Thank you. So, mm, where do I want to begin with you? Um, well, you know, because we, we think about, okay, how does our history impact how we are today? Um, what was your upbringing and how did that impact the way that you feel about community? Because I know how important community is to you. Yeah. I'm the oldest of 26 grandchildren. My mom's the oldest of nine children. I come from a big Irish Catholic family that had a very devoted uh, practice to social justice. And um, my mom left my dad for a woman in 1992, which was pretty scandalous. It wasn't met with open arms. (laughs) So um, I very quickly saw the way the Catholic Church that I was raised in responded to my mother. And oftentimes you'll hear people say I'm a recovering Catholic. That doesn't feel Mm -hmm. true for me at all. I actually had a very affirming 
Catholic upbringing, and I saw the limitations of the dogma when my mom came out. Yes. And so I began this quest for affirming community models that were what I would call radically inclusive and moved beyond dogma and doctrine. Mm. And uh, that's what I continue to support and create in my own body of work. And it really, for people who have been sort of tossed out or mistreated by traditional uh, organizational or religious frameworks, finding affirming spaces that they don't have to just squeeze into makes a really big difference. And as you mentioned, my TEDx talk was on the future of community in a post-religious society. Ooh. Every religious tradition is in a kind of deconstruction of some mm-hmm, sort. Mm-hmm. And so it really begs the question, what does community look like in the absence of traditional religion? Or even with traditional religion, how could it look? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, so talk about that a little. What could that look like? What does it need to look like? And I say need from the perspective of being inclusive and not yeah, I mean, people into boxes. Yeah, I, I am a practitioner of the mystical realm. And so I just have so much appreciation for the world's traditions. So for me, it is not the path of the mystic that is the problem. Mm-hmm. It's when we conflate our, our curiosity around the unseen realm with power and control and domination. That's where it sort of goes sideways when Mm -hmm. it becomes about um, sort of bureaucracy and institutions versus the practice. And I think it really it is not an easy thing to create order Mm -hmm. and to create a system. We don't have a lot of recent or modern history on how to do that without power and control as the central force. So, you know, I mean, I think part, part of what I work to do, both in the organizations that I consult in, consult with and the community that I've formed is really um, moving beyond a kind of closed and defensive scarcity based model of leadership into mm-hmm. one of curiosity, openness, really shifting from a fear-based paradigm to, you know, more esoterically, we could say like a a philosophy of oneness. And it's pretty interesting how you can bring those principles into the most traditional of spaces, even into corporate organizational settings. There's a way to have a conversation around conscious leadership that is very different than fear-based paradigms. Yeah. Gosh, I, I love how you've just described that, Lola, in so many ways. Um, and I have about six questions that occur to me, you know, based on that. Because um, huh. you talk about conscious leadership, um, you talk about how we bring into that bigger dimension, the, the macrocosm, really, uh, the macrocosm in the physical world of those more 
we could say esoteric principles, but those esoteric principles that have now been shown to be a reflection or, or an expression, if you will, of quantum physics. Yes. That yes. we are all connected, that, that, that we're really talking about this unified field and that yes. what happens here has impact across the world and, and on and on and on and on. So, yes. so how, wow. Hmm. How do you begin to have that conversation with, let's say a corporation? Yeah. Well, it's it's so fun because I recently about a year ago went through a whole sort of branding exercise with an agency. And one of the pieces of feedback I got was uh, from a senior leader in Oprah's uh, camp. Mm -hmm. And she said, Lola Wright is like the Eckhart Tolle of the streets. And what, what I loved about that was that it's really about making this stuff relatable. Yes. So if it feels too woo woo or too nebulous, it's, it's challenging for people who are very grounded in Mm -hmm. this material realm Mm -hmm. to access it. And so what I find is when I go into corporate settings or organizational settings, The more that I can use like layman's terms Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. lingo, the the people get this stuff. I mean, the the principles that you and I are talking about that we could use very lofty language for is pretty basic in a lot of ways. You Mm -hmm. said it like, Mm -hmm. hey, would you be willing to consider that whatever it is you're dealing with right where you are? You know, I oftentimes call that on planet Lori or on planet Lola. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to consider that that actually actually isn't happening in isolation. And we can look at things like science and see so clearly how that's true. Mm-hmm. People who may be more skeptical of the esoteric really appreciate the groundedness and the points of reference found in science. I have no problem with that. Right. What's beautiful right. about the time we're living in is, you know, science, religion and philosophy are intersecting in more in more ways. And what you and I have been talking about now for decades is becoming increasingly mainstream. Mm -hmm. That's exciting to me. It's very exciting. Science is catching up. Yes. What we've known forever. What the mystery has spoken about for thousands of years. Yes. I remember a friend of mine uh, who is a research scientist once saying a few decades ago, early on in the research that we were doing together, Science doesn't yet have a way to measure what we have been experiencing in our physical bodies. And so now as science catches up, um, it sounds like you, Lola, are are being one of those bridge builders to to create that pathway from that linear, you know, um, linear three dimensional model, shall we say, to this new way of of thinking, this quantum thinking. Yeah, I was raised by um, a mother who was doing Feldenkrais and Reiki Mm -hmm. and sprouted bread and macrobiotic diets. (laughs) And like I was, she was taking us to all the retreats across Mm -hmm. the country, doing the most obscure practices. Yes. And as a result of that, I had deep resistance and cynicism and sort of a perpetual eye role as a teenager and into very early adulthood. 
and then realized, holy smokes, this woman was really ahead of her time and such a gift to me. And I think what that gave me was like being really deep in, you know, my grandparents were Rumi meditators. My grandfather studied with Thich Nhat Hanh and they lived on sacred land. And, you know, all of this Mm -hmm. sort of gave me this really powerful foundation. But the gift of the cynicism was exactly what you said. I'm really here to to be a bridge builder because the cynicism makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I can appreciate the skepticism. I can appreciate wanting more evidence, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. and to be able to not have to stay we want to let go of that rational, logical part of ourselves. That's not what's really yes. either, and it's certainly not what's needed. It's yes, we have to bring that into some kind of connection with that which we haven't been able to see or measure or and you know, yes, to some extent can. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so what would community look like? That's that's the that's that kind of follow up question. Um, in this new in this new kind of world where you know um, membership in traditional religions is plummeting mm-hmm. people aren't saying that they don't believe but that they're not attached to a particular body of um, of like-minded thinkers yes you know really in traditional yeah. religion mm-hmm. well i think one of the ingredients that that does not work anymore is obligation. So it's, and that it's, it, how do you create a community that is about commitment versus mm-hmm. obligation? You know, I mean, though, th- what I know to be true is that when we, when we move from obligation, mm-hmm. we create resentment and when resentment ensues, we produce entitlement. So to form a community out of obligation has a short lifespan and produces a pretty toxic culture. Mm-hmm. So how do you create a community out of commitments and agreements? You know, the way that I think of the term commitment is the, the way in which I organize my energy. You know, can we create shared commitment and an interest and a willingness to organize our energy in a particular direction. Great. And then the realm of agreements, who's going to do what by when, you know, relational drama comes Mm -hmm. from unaligned commitments and unmet agreements. Most Mm -hmm. human beings are moving on the planet without aligned commitments. You can see this Mm -hmm. in marriages in business partnerships in family systems. So we actually don't have agreement around how and where we are organizing our energy. Mm -hmm. And then we don't make any real clear agreements who's going to do what by when Mm -hmm. we make assumptions and then we have drama. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just think like it, it, you know, there's just the more clear we can be at the onset. So Mm -hmm. I created a community that has, you know, a monthly membership subscription and it's really clear. Here's what I'm committed to contributing Mm -hmm. and here's what I'm asking you to contribute Mm -hmm. as opposed to the traditional church model where where I say as an ordained minister, it is your duty, your moral obligation, your responsibility to underwrite this community. 
I just don't think that works anymore. I'd mm. love to, I'd love it if human beings felt compelled to financially contribute out of the goodness of their heart. But I don't think we can undermine the implications of capitalism in our psychology. And so it's very, it is, you know, sort of the old traditional framework of tithing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, I don't, I, I believe in it. I practice it. I have had incredible um, demonstrations in my life through the active practice of financial contribution and generosity. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, having taught those principles for many, many years, I don't think that that's where the consciousness of humanity is right now. And I am not interested in swimming upstream around that topic. Okay. Does that connect at all or relate at all to sacred economy and, and, you know, the way of supporting other people's dreams? Yeah. Well, and I think it is a, it's a, you know, I think about conscious capitalism, you know, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. how is it possible to create a reciprocal relationship in an economy, you know, that is balanced and in harmony. What we're living in right now is hypercapitalism, mm-hmm. which is why we have sort of a diseased state. You know, Eckhart Tolle would say we're in an evolutionary leap where we're amidst a radical crisis. And when you are amidst a radical crisis, either in extinction occurs or we go through an evolutionary leap, you know? And so that's sort of, so I just want to keep asking the question, how could it be possible from an abundance mindset that we could create an experience in this dimension of reality where we, we collectively prosper? Is that possible? I believe it is. Yeah. Collectively prosper. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to I got to get mine and I'm going to hoard and I'm going to kill off, you know, metaphorically. Right. I'm going to kill off any threat. You know, so so when we are in a deeply unconscious state, we're organizing ourselves around scarcity. Mm -hmm. I got to hoard, hoard, hoard. So I think that like as we go through this evolutionary leap, as we awaken to what I believe to be uh, the absolute truth. And I think we could, again, look to nature to Mm -hmm. verify this. There is more than enough. You know, Lynn Twist says in her book, The Soul of Money, Mm -hmm. we do not have a sufficiency problem. We have a distribution problem. Mm -hmm. And we have a distribution problem because we live inside of a paradigm that there is not enough. But it's actually not true. There's Mm -hmm. more than enough if we could create a sense of equanimity in our systems and structures that honored the natural giving and receiving of this universe. So you're talking you're talking from that big picture of of how things can look. And, you know, and then at the at the very uh, base of that is the personal experience of if if you have if you Lola have, it doesn't mean that me, Laurie, that I don't have. Yes. And so and it doesn't mean it, that I that I can't have. And that's yes. so much of what's um, motivating a lot of what we're witnessing right now in the world. Yes. And what I know to be true, having led a very dynamic community in Chicago for seven years, mm-hmm. is that, you know, people's 
um, scarcity consciousness Mm -hmm. is not correlated to net worth. I have worked with some of the wealthiest human beings Mm -hmm. that are deeply, deeply uh, mobilized and paralyzed by scarcity. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. wherever we are in our balance sheet, our cash flow analysis, our net worth Mm -hmm. statement, that's not necessarily an indicator of if I am run by scarcity or resting in abundance, you know? So, so fear or love? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And from a community perspective, you know, and we don't even have enough time to talk about how we got here, but (laughs) so many religious organizations are in a kind of poverty consciousness, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, sort of desperately uh, um, leaning on the generosity of community members to hopefully, you know, give. And I just, I just got sort of tired of that game and wasn't seeing that it was working. I know too many ministers who are secretly struggling and um, talking about abundance and prosperity. And that doesn't work. Yeah. And I see that same thing, frankly, with with conscious practitioners of all sorts. You know, that feeling of of scarcity mentality, scarcity thinking. I don't have enough. Look, it's true. Look at my bank balance. It's true. I don't have enough. Yes. And and so therefore, since the energies respond that way, I mean, the universe responds that way. Oh, okay, you don't have enough. That's right. That you don't have enough. Yes, indeed. We will agree with you. That's right. So, So can you talk a little bit about how shifting that shifts everything. Yeah. Well, I was 20 years old. I was the mother of two little kids. I became pregnant when I was 18, had my first child when I was 19. So I guess 21, I had two little kids. It was a very volatile situation that I was in. And I found myself in this kind of perpetual loop of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And I would obsessively look at my online bank account as if that was going to do something, you know. And as I began to familiarize myself with this notion of abundance consciousness, like that was a sort of revolutionary idea. And I remember some of my early teachers saying, you know, Lola, you know, you really just got to move into this knowing that you are abundant. It is the nature of your life. That was too big a leap for me. Right. Right. Given where I was, Mm -hmm. you know, obsessively watching an overdrawn checking account, feeling mounting student loan debt, you know, working tirelessly and never being able to sort of make ends meet. It was too big a leap to go from that to I am abundant. Yeah. You, you know, bridge, you needed the bridge. Exactly. So that's why yeah. you're such a good bridge builder is because you know that other side. That's right. And, and you've, you've traversed that pathway. That's right. Yeah. And so what I started doing was I would look at my online bank account, Mm -hmm. whatever the number was, positive, negative, big and, you know, lavish or really, (laughs) really down and dirty. Mm -hmm. And I just would look at it and say, this is not the truth. 
Ah. You know, like that I could get to. It was like, whatever the number is, that's not the truth of who I am. It's just a representation of something. So if I can incrementally get through that, because previously it it had me, and this is what I see independent of people's net worth. Mm -hmm a sense of identity being formed by whatever that number is. Mm -hmm. So I had to sort of unlock from that. Okay, whatever the number is, that's not who I am. Okay, great. Uh, Can you be with that? Can mm -hmm. you get with that? Okay, Mm -hmm. so if that's not who I am, then who and what am I? Then what's actually true about me? Uh You know, so you sort of got to back into it. And it's like, okay, so I'm learning that this is an abundant universe, that actually it's a delusion that that there are scarce resources. Okay. Let me insert something real quick. And I don't want to break your train of thought, but it occurs to me that... One of the ways that that mindset got created was out of that need for or that a feeling of a need for control by those systems, you know, initially those religious systems that in order to um, to do what they felt they needed to do, we have to have control. We have to be the intermediary. We have to yes. essentially paint a picture of of scarcity that only we can fill. Yes, that's right. Yes. I mean, that is that is theologically accurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about even the concept of original sin, it was formed around the French Revolution and it was governmentally created to create a sense of control and domination among the people. So Mm -hmm. if you could have the people believe that there's something fundamentally wrong with them, then they have to outsource their power, authority, safety and security to the organizing body. Mm -hmm. But much more ancient ancient than original sin is original blessing is more of a creationist spirituality that actually there is something whole and holy about you Uh that you are this infinite glorious portal for the divine to express through Mm -hmm. and so as we start to you know put all of that together it begins to make sense we're coming out of an an age of suffering we're, 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 we're quite literally shifting mm-hmm. in consciousness. And if we look at just what's happened in the last several years, you know, our, our politics have not been this toxic in, in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And we have just, mm-hmm. you know, navigated over a year of a global pandemic. You know, there are so many economic indicators that are indicating a deconstruction is occurring. And we can look at all of that and say, this is a problem. Or we could go, this is very good news. We are evolving. Yeah. So say something about what you mean by deconstruction. So just so our listeners can have a better sense of that. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we're noticing, for example, I have four kids, two of whom went through remote learning. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the global pandemic, the school district was in a state of crisis. You know, all of a sudden there was something that they were faced with that they didn't have a context and a know how to respond. Mm -hmm. 
over the course of the year, I have seen the like the literal nervous system of the district relax a little bit. Mm -hmm. When we are in crisis, acute crisis, it's very difficult to come up with creative solutions as really. Right, right. So as as we settle in, okay, so something this all went on much longer than we anticipated. So now some spaciousness is being created for imagination and innovation. And how could the school district begin to do education in new and interesting ways? I mean, I've just watched my kids teachers, some of whom were real technophobes. And now they are they're sort of they were brought to their knees in this past year and they had to move through that. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we're going to have, you know, the, uh, statistically, like there doesn't really seem like there's going to be an obvious, unless there's a massive wave of student loan forgiveness, that is predicted to be the next economic crisis. Mm-hmm. And so all of these are indicators that the way we've been organizing our society isn't working as well as it could. And we can look at all of our lives and say, wow, you know, the breakdown has consistently preceded the breakthrough. And when you're in the breakdown, it is super uncomfortable. (laughs) You wouldn't wish it on anyone. But we all can also look at our lives and go, and I now understand the lessons and the evolution and the expansion that I got out of that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's what I think we're really living in. And it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It's the same kind of discomfort as when you're personally going through great change and something has ended, whether that be in your physical world, a marriage, a job, um, it could be a way of thinking, or it could just be a project you've been working on. And then you're not sure what's going to happen next. Yes. You know, and yes. then you, you, you're in that void. What I speak about is the void. And it's yes. that creative, empty space that is yes. so uncomfortable comfortably that you want to fill it. You want to structure it. You want to put something around it and say, okay, that's what it is. You might even say, oh, I'm coming down with something. This feeling yes. malaise. When really it's that space that we as collectively as a, um, as a species have to get better at being able to, I want to say tolerate, but it, it's much more than that. Like navigate is what it is. Navigate, certainly navigate, mm-hmm. but even welcome. Like, yes. oh, that's what this is. When I can name that feeling in me as, oh, I'm going through change. Oh, I'm in the void. Then that yes. feeling of wanting to burst into tears at least has some sense of space that I've created. Yes. Around it. My husband's a landscape architect and there's a principle in landscape architecture called winter interest. Ooh. And what that means is that he designs with the winter in mind. So the time that people are most compelled by landscape is usually the spring and summer and maybe the fall. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, many years ago, he did a big installation at a client's house and he drove by over the weekend early in the winter to see how was the winter interest coming along. Mm-hmm. And as he drove up, he saw their maintenance company plowing down all of the dry perennials and he was like ah (laughs) and what he came to realize is 
ah, I didn't explain to the client and their maintenance company that the that the the deadening of the perennials is not a problem. Right. It's actually a beautiful process. And now, you know, we have a side yard that's filled with hydrangea mm. that are beautifully dried in the winter. Right. And they that is the winter interest. So, you know, it's such a great metaphor because when we realize that there is just as much beauty in the darkness. Mm -hmm. You know, this is part of this shift also. You know, historically, we've related to the darkness as evil, as bad, Mm -hmm. when really it's just a misunderstanding of the mystery. Exactly. You know, it's like in the dark. The rest of it. (laughs) That's right. It's where birth is occurring. It's where gestation is forming. You know, the rich, dark soil is where all the mystery resides. So I think it's just part of our our maturation as a species, to your point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, as you say that, I'm I'm flashing on even, oh, I don't remember which century it was that um, we believed that the earth revolved, the sun revolved around us. Yes. And, uh, you know, Copernicus and Galileo and others, you know, kind of got into the mix and said, um, not exactly. (laughs) That how do we, how do we shift out of those old paradigms? It's always, it's always when we come to that point where there, there's that moment of, okay, this really isn't working anymore. Yes. Yes. And we're forced to it. Unfortunately, it's that almost that being forced to it, which in some ways is what the pandemic has offered to so many people. Yes. Is that push into what's possible. Yes. Looking at that. Yeah, you often use birth as a metaphor, having having labored and delivered through, you know, four babies, you know, a a woman's body or a birthing person's body dilates to 10 centimeters Mm -hmm. and, you know, centimeters seven to 10 are called transition. Mm -hmm. They are Mm -hmm. thought of as the most acute time in the laboring process. It is typically the time where a birthing person is like, I'm over this. (laughs) I cannot do this. One more moment, but important to right, right. But important to realize it is typically the shortest period of the laboring process. Mm -hmm. It's the most acute, Mm -hmm. but it is also the shortest. And so that is, you know, I think of this time in human evolution as transition Mm -hmm. of birth. Yes. Yeah. And what are we giving birth to? It's why I I am so committed to working with with the whole process of inspiration and innovation and creation and co-creation. Yes. Because what we're here to do is to co-create. Only we have to, in a way, we have to open to what's possible in order to do that, because then we're opening to those to those unseen forces. Yes. That can inform what we're really here to do or what is possible to become next. Yes. The question I often ask myself is Lola Wright, would you be willing to release the good to experience the greater good? Yo, you know, it's like, if we don't let go of what was, Mm -hmm. there isn't space to create that which is forthcoming. So Mm -hmm. may I be willing to release the good to experience the greater good. And that Mm -hmm. requires faith because you can't yet see it. Right, right. You can't yet see it. 
and we can't, um, you know, that's on the, again, on that macrocosmic level. And in the personal, we can't see it either. I mean, we can't see yes. it in our own lives. When yes. we want to hold on to what was, you know, there's that part of the brain that, the amygdala that wants to keep us safe and yes. wants to keep us with what is known. And anytime you go beyond what's apparently safe, what's apparently known, we run that risk. And there's that part of it that says, no, no way in whatever that you're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and you know what? That part of our biology has mm-hmm. served us. It has. And it does serve us, right? It's just when it's our primary orientation, it mm-hmm. often limits us. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are here to evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, and that the, that the world needs to evolve. And so. Yes. What do you feel? What do you feel like is is I don't want to say next exactly, but um, maybe I could ask it this way. What do you feel like is key to helping us move beyond the status quo Mm -hmm. into what is happening or what is um, what we're on the the throes of or in the throes of or maybe even on the the toehold of a, a collective awakening? Mm-hmm. My very favorite lyric is by Bob Marley from Redemption Song. And he says, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's so powerful about that as a context and given what we have just moved through particularly in the United States of America, but you can actually see this in basically every major political model around the world, is that the ways of outsourcing our good, our power, our authority to some figurehead is over. To me, that is the great gift of this most recent sort of toxic presidential political landscape is if ever there was a wake up call for human beings to realize no one is coming to save you. (laughs) (laughs) Like this is it. There's no knight in shining armor. You're it, baby. You're it. You know, and I think that that's really like in terms of evolution of the species. And to go back to the early part of this conversation, what do organizations and communities need to consider? Mm -hmm. How can you create models of leadership that don't require um, uh, an outsourcing? Right. Like, so Hmm. can I, for example, in the, in the last chapter of Pema Chodron's book, um, uh, the places that scare you, Mm -hmm. the last chapter of that book is called spiritual friend. And it is a powerful chapter around what it means to have an influential teacher in your life. Mm -hmm. But then all the ways that we project onto that teacher (laughs) and absolve ourselves of responsibility and expect some unreasonable amount of perfection from them. And when human beings begin to um, realize that like, hey, our humanity 
has its foibles, its strengths, its weaknesses, its shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And can we be okay with that? Mm -hmm. You know, Cartole says, the greatest source of grace known to humankind is acceptance of the unacceptable. Mm. And so it's like I, I, somehow all of that woven together makes sense to me. We are being brought to our knees. We can no longer absolve ourselves of personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we're indulging the ego. It means that we're actually realizing our agency, our authority, our capacity, our creativity. And when I come from wholeness mm -hmm. versus woundedness and brokenness, when I come to know myself as this extraordinary and exquisite vessel of and for good. Mm -hmm. And then I know that that also lives in every person that I meet. Then we can create contexts and frameworks for organizations and communities that involve leadership that doesn't re require dominance. Leadership that doesn't require dominance. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that is that is such a powerful statement. Boy, I remember back in the the early days of Wisdom Talk Radio a few years ago, there the collective that um, I, as we started this started Wisdom Talk Radio did a program on radical responsibility, and it was really about that need to. To, if we're going to change anything, if we're going to become conscious, yes, to be responsible for all of what we create, yes, and, and that doesn't mean blame. So you're not yes. talking about blame at all. You're talking about empowerment, really. Yes, exactly. And that, to me, is so exciting. It is. Oh, it is. Ugh. You have the, I can see almost in your, in your eyes, as I'm looking at you, I wish our audience could see you, the, this vision, it's like you, you embody this vision in such a powerful and beautiful way, Lola. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Can you uh, speak to where people could find out more about you, get more of you. Um, I, yeah. I want to keep going, but I know that we're, <laughs> we're running out of time. <laughs> well, I do. I do appreciate this conversation and I believe that we are always creating the reality that we desire. So I just, mm -hmm. I know that this conversation is magnetic mm -hmm. and I really appreciate you creating the space for it. Mm -hmm. So thank you. You are welcome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, please visit me at lolawright.com. I have a membership community that meets weekly, either on demand or live. It's called Our Circle. You can find out all about it on my website. It We have people from literally all over the world who are committed to creating conscious community through personal transformation and collective awakening. Mm. I love social media. So find me <laughs> on Instagram at Lola P. Wright. Mm. And, um, yeah, finally, check out my web or my podcast, Find Your Fierce and Loving. I'd mm -hmm. love to connect with your listeners, too. Yeah, great. And I'll put all of those things into um, the show notes for sure. Cool. 
Yeah. Thank you, Lola Wright. And that's, by the way, Wright is W-R-I-G-H-T. Just so yes. you're just listening and you're not looking at any notes, lolawright.com is with a W. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. Thank you for creating this space. Mm. Avec plaisir, we say in French. <laughs> with pleasure. Thank you. And thanks for being with us today at Wisdom Talk Radio. Join us here regularly for more wisdom, discovery, and illumination. Remember, you can find us on your favorite place to listen to podcasts. And of course, if you've enjoyed listening today, and how could you not have, (laughs) leave us a review. That helps more people to access the wisdom and, as we've been talking about today, to transform the world. And for more about fast-tracking your ideas to creation and revenue, find me, Laurie Seymour, over at thebacainstitute.com. That's B as in boy, A-C-A, institute.com. Take the quiz and find out your creative innovator style so that you can turn your ideas into reality without missing another moment. Thanks for joining us here at Wisdom Talk Radio. We wish you well in your conscious explorations. For more information and to join in the conversation, our website is wisdomtalkradio.com or at Wisdom Talk Radio on Facebook.